Genesis 12, beginning at the first verse. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. Lot went with him. Abraham was 70, 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Cana, and they arrived there. Abraham travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued towards the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. They will kill me, but let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. Abram went into Egypt. The Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman, and when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say? She is my sister, so I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Moving on to Hebrews chapter 11, beginning at the 8th verse. By faith, Abraham when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of that same promise. 
for he was looking toward the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear child, children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Charles for reading. Good morning, everybody. It's lovely to see lots of people in the building, lots of familiar faces. Nice to welcome Margaret back from Japan. Great to see you. And uh, welcome to those joining us on the live stream as well. Um, how's your summer going? I hope that um, you've had a chance to have some rest, maybe get away on a holiday, and have a break from the normal, and maybe you've got that coming up to look forward to. I don't know if you find this as well, but I often find in the summer, it's a kind of natural time when things slow down and you do a bit of reflection, a bit of looking back on how life is going. And I guess it's been quite a hard time, hasn't it? For all of us, these past, uh, past year, the past 18 months has been difficult for us. I don't know if there'll be many of us who look at ourselves at the moment and think we're in the best shape physically or, or mentally or spiritually. It's been a hard time. So I look back, it feels like Life is in a sense of suspended animation. I don't know if that rings a bell with you. Sometimes going out and about at the moment, it sort of feels like in a kind of different dimension from, from before, like we're in a kind of Christopher Nolan film uh, or a different part of the multiverse if you're a Marvel fan. I don't know if you can relate to that. Well, as I've been thinking about that, that sense of being on pause, life just waiting, this transition time that we're still in, it occurred to me that actually, when it comes to faith, uh, that isn't really an option. When it comes to faith, there isn't really a pause button. We're either moving forwards or we're, or we're stepping back. Uh, that's something that the, the author of the book of Hebrews knew as well. His, his readers have been facing challenges, all sorts of hardships and, and trials. They were still kind of facing an uncertain future. He knew that. And so he wants to encourage them to keep going in faith. This is the kind of language he's been using throughout the book. Language of persevering, fixing your eyes on Jesus, running the race set before you, holding firmly to our convictions, drawing near to God, and going forward to maturity. Because the alternative, and again, using the language of the, the writer to the Hebrews, is that as believers, we'll shrink back, drift away, become lazy, grow weary, lose heart, throw away our confidence and give up. Those are the two options with faith. Because the direction of our faith, it directs our lives, doesn't it? And so as David said, when we come to chapter 11, the author is really drilling down into faith and what it is. You might remember from a couple of weeks ago when Andrew Fellows was speaking to us, we looked at the author's definition of faith. That's there in verse 1 of chapter 11. He says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So now he's defined faith. And now he's giving us examples from the Old Testament of what that looks like in practice. So today we come to 
to Abraham and Sarah, or Abraham and Sarai, as they were in chapter 12. Now, um, as biblical figures go, Abraham is pretty high up there with significance. His story takes up 15 chapters of Genesis. He is frequently referenced by the Old Testament prophets, the history writers, the psalmists, the New Testament apostles, and Jesus himself. The the author to Hebrews has already spoken about him back in chapter 6 and 7, and actually we could have read a little bit more in chapter 11 about Abraham as well. Now, we haven't got anywhere near enough time to deal with all of that, you might be pleased to know. So we're going to really zoom in on these four or five verses and see what, what is the author of the Hebrews trying to get us to learn from Abraham and Sarah for us today. What is it about their faith that we can learn from so that we keep moving forwards and not stepping back? So here's a couple of things that we're going to pick out. And here's the first one. And that's that Abraham and Sarah obeyed God's call amidst the uncertainty. They obeyed God's call amidst the uncertainty of life. Now, there are two parts to the call. Uh, The first was to leave home. So that's there in verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Now, I find maps helpful. I I love looking at maps. Um, It's helpful for me this week to just get a sense of Abraham's journey. So there we go. They they started, um, actually before chapter 12, before the call of God, Abraham and his family with his father Terah, they'd they'd been down in Ur, which is on the right-hand side, uh, modern-day Iraq. Um, They'd already moved from there 600 miles, sort of north-west, up to Haran, which you can see right at the top there, about 600 miles away in kind of modern-day Turkey. Now, we know from, from elsewhere in Genesis that Abraham and his family, they were, they were quite rich. They were pretty affluent. They had some status in the ancient world. And to live in a place like Ur, uh, you would have kind of had to be, be somebody, really, to live there. Uh, it's that kind of place where, unless you had some wealth and money, um, you wouldn't be seen. I uh, think kind of Monte Carlo or the Knightsbridge in London, somewhere like that. But they, they'd left. And then... At the start of chapter 12, God directly calls Abraham and Sarah at the start of chapter 12 to leave, to leave Haran, where his family were, where all of the things that he knew and gave him security were, and go just to a place that God said that I will show you. And that turned out to be Canaan, which you can see there on the left-hand side, another 400 miles away. Now, the journey, it was far from straightforward. Uh, There were lots of battles along the way. Um, There was a a division with his nephew Lot and a rescue, um, and then a 500-mile round trip to Egypt um, along the way, which we got a little taste of in our reading. Now, we don't know exactly how God spoke to Abraham, but what we must know is that the call was compelling. When God said to Abraham and Sarah, go, they went. They went straight away, no looking back. And you might have picked up, as Charles was reading, along the way, they stopped and they built an altar and they worshipped God. So as they obeyed in faith, so they carried on in faith and worship along the way, trusting his, his call to them. Now, I guess um, 
I guess all of us have different people in our lives calling us to do stuff. Um, those of us who are lucky enough to still be uh, children at home, I guess you've got to listen to your parents sometimes. They probably call you to do things at different points. Uh, I guess we might have bosses that give us tasks to complete, housemates or spouses that input into our daily lives. And we're all, as we've seen, at the kind of mercies of the government, the, the rules of the land that we've got to live by. That can be hard, can't it, sometimes? It can be hard to listen to the call of other people, especially when we think it's a terrible idea what they're asking us to do. So I guess what we need in those moments is we need some confidence in the goodness of the person asking us to do that thing. We've got to trust them. We've got to believe that what they're asking us to do, even if it's hard, will result in our good or for the good of other people. And that's what Abraham and Sarah had when they heard God's call to them in his word. They had confidence that he would bring about those extraordinary blessings that he promised them. Now, I don't want us to miss the uncertainty that went, went with it. I mean, that's what the Hebrews writer wants us to get. They didn't know where they were going. It would have been a huge cost to them to leave the security, the wealth uh, that they had, the status, the, their family their possessions, to leave all of that behind. But they acted by faith and they obeyed the call of God to go and go where he would lead them. So that was the first part they called, to, to leave home. And then the second part, which you may have picked up, up on in, in verse 9, is, is not to settle where they ended up. So verse 9, let me read it again. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with them of the same promise. So it was, they were called, once they got to the promised land of Canaan, not to settle there, but to live as a stranger. See, when Abraham and his family had first moved from Ur to Haran, interestingly, Haran was one of Abraham's brothers. So it's likely that his father, Terah, renamed where they lived in honor of Haran, who, who had died before they even left. It was a place of massive significance where they'd settled for a long time. There's none of that here with, with Abraham. There's no settling. There's no building a new mansion. It's just living in tents, roaming the earth like nomads. And in fact, when Sarah dies later in, in Genesis, he has, to, he has to buy some land because they had none of their own. He had to buy some land to bury her. Does that seem a bit strange to you, that having called them to go to this promised land, he then would, would ask them just to keep moving around, not settling there? Well, the answer is there in verse 10. They were looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So did you see that, that God had kept his promise to bring them to that promised land? They, they'd... they'd They'd known blessing and abundance, and, uh, and then his name was great among the nations around them. He'd blessed them materially, but they knew that wasn't the end of the promise. They knew that wasn't the end of the road. They were looking forwards to a place to come, a place that was still unseen when God would dwell again eternally with his people. That's, that's picking up on the promise that God made right back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to dwell 
with his people. And once again, he would do that again. So they had this ultimate hope of a world to come. That's, that's that assurance of what we do not see from verse 1. So that's the first thing I think the writer of Hebrews is calling us to do. He's calling us to do the same this morning, to obey his word in the present and to trust the promises of his word for the future. So I wonder where we need to hear that, that challenge this morning, that challenge to, to listen to God's call to us in his word. I mean, maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian this morning. Maybe you're kind of looking into things and wondering what it's all about. But I guess all of us will have a faith or a worldview of some sort, won't we? And maybe, maybe this past year and a half has caused you to, to question your own worldview as the reality of death has been thrust upon us in a, in a new way. The kind of illusion of control that we thought we all had has been blown out of the water, hasn't it? Maybe you are questioning, is the direction your life is taking the right one? Well, the promises that God makes Abraham are for you. They're for, for everybody. So maybe God's calling you now to, to look into that call again for yourself. Look at the evidence and see if it stacks up against what you believe at the moment. Maybe that's what God is calling you to this morning. Or maybe, maybe you would say you're a Christian and um, perhaps you're conscious of over the next kind of month or so you're going to be doing something new. I guess if you're still at school, then you'd like to go into new classes new teachers, maybe you're heading to college or, or university, lots of new things coming up. So will you obey God's call to be different from the world around you when you get there? Maybe you're starting a new job, or maybe you're moving house to a new area. Well, would you let your neighbors know, your colleagues know, that you're a Christian? Well, that'd be obvious straight away. There's uncertainty, isn't there, in doing that? How will that pan out? Will you, will you get mocked? Will you get... Abuse, would you miss out on opportunities? Might you even lose your job? There's lots of uncertainty around following God. Will you do it anyway? Will you trust that whatever God brings your way will result in your good, even if it takes time? Or maybe God's calling you back after this strange time to, to discipleship. Maybe it's time to get back to the kind of basics of our faith, of, of reading his words every day, of, of praying to him, getting back into routines of worship. Maybe it's time to, to come back to fellowship a little bit more. Maybe, maybe you're watching at home and you haven't been back to church for a while. Uh, maybe God's just nudging you today. Maybe it's time to come back to church. He said just earlier in chapter 10 that we're not to give up meeting together. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard. There's lots of uncertainty around us. We might have really good, wise reasons why it's, it's right to, to stay at home, but but it's good together. God says it's good and right together. We're doing everything we can in the building to make it safe. And it's, it's great, isn't it? It's great to sing again. Great to have tea and coffee and chat to one another in person. It's great to be together again. Maybe that's the challenge for you today. Or maybe it's a call on your heart. Maybe you're conscious that your roots are too deeply embedded in the world at the moment. Maybe you're relying on your your home, your possessions, your job, your career, your family, your friends, all these good things that are good to be thankful for and enjoy. But how would it affect you if some of those things are taken away, if you had to leave them behind? Maybe we have lost some of those things during the pandemic. 
How's that affected your sense of security and well-being? Maybe God is calling you this morning to do a, a heart check, do a health check on your heart. So that's the first thing that I think we see from the passage this morning. Are we obeying God's call to us in his word, despite the uncertainty? And secondly, look more, and more briefly, the second thing we see is that Abraham and Sarah believed God's promises despite their impossibility. They believed God's promises despite their human impossibility. Now look, uprooting your whole life, moving away from everything that you knew and held dear, it's a big deal, and it clearly demonstrates their faith, doesn't it? But this, this last thing is... It's a confidence in a different category because what they're seeing is something that with their own eyes is utterly impossible. Now, if you don't know the story too well, um, uh, but you might remember it from from Genesis 12 when when Charles read that earlier, that that God had promised Abraham and Sarah a a land, a, a blessing, a great name, but also descendants, offspring, who would dwell in the land long after they had gone. But of course, at this point, there are a couple of quite big problems to that. Um, So Abraham and Sarah, firstly, they were quite a long way past childbearing age. They were kind of into the grandparent, or even the great-grandparent territory. And the second problem was that up until that point, they hadn't been able to have children at all. Uh, Sarah was barren. And it was actually Abraham's sort of chief of staff, um, Eleazar, who stood to inherit all of their possessions at that point. So when God promised back in Genesis 12, verse 7, that it would be their offspring who would inherit the land that they were leading them to, well, they would have set off from Haran with this huge question mark hanging over them. How would it be? How would it possibly be that their offspring would receive the inheritance? You know, maybe they started doing some some Downton Abbey-style calculations trying to work out who would inherit. And you can understand that, can't you? I mean, you can understand why they might have struggled with that notion. But that isn't what we're told about Sarah. And what we're told is that Sarah, in verse 11, had faith, who is past childbearing age, she was unable to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. Because she believed God's promise, she was enabled to bear a child in her old age. Now, we've got to get that that right. It's, It's... It's not that God is saying because she believed she would have a baby, he gave her a baby. No, it's because he believed God's promise to her. He told her that she would have a baby, and she believed that. That's the way around. God promised it, Sarah believed it, and God brought it about. Or to put it in another way, because Sarah had had confidence in God's promises for the future, She had faith in God's power for her presence. Do we see that? Because of the faith that she had in his promises for the future, she believed in his power for their presence. Now, I guess our culture around us, we're in a kind of, I'll believe it when I see it kind of culture, aren't we? And and that can maybe slip into into how we do things as Christians. Maybe we can get a bit cynical. Maybe we... We believe in the abstract, the promises for the future. We believe the gospel. But as for God's power in our life now, well, do we believe that as much? Maybe there are situations in our lives when we've kind of given up on God. Maybe there's a, 
a sinful habit that we're conscious of, that we just think we can't ever break this. Maybe there's someone we, we love that we long to come to faith, and they haven't for decades. Maybe a friend, even now, who we'd love to see healed from their illness. Maybe a relationship that we'd long to have, a child we'd love to bear. Now look, God, God doesn't promise any of those specifics. I'm not saying that. But do we have faith to pray that he could bring them about, that he is powerful enough, that he's good and compassionate enough to bring them about if he promises, if he, if he so desires to? I guess one danger as we, as we come to the close, the one danger of a passage like this is that we, we see Abraham and Sarah and we think, ah, oh, I couldn't be like them. That kind of faith, I'm nowhere near that. Well, one antidote to that is, is to remember that they are just flawed human beings like the rest of us. It's why, um, it's why I wanted Charles to read the whole of chapter 12. That's one reason, because... We see an example there of, of when Abraham doubted God's goodness. You might remember when they moved to Egypt, they were, he was worried that because his wife was so beautiful that they would kill him and take her away. So he pretends that she's a sister to try and look, uh, be, be looked upon with favor. It, doesn't, it, well, it goes well for a little while, but then ultimately God sends diseases on the pharaohs and the pharaoh kicks them out. That's not even the only time he does that. He does that again in a few chapters' time with another king, Abimelech. He does the same thing because he's worried about how they'll be treated. And Sarah too, if you know Sarah's story, then when she is first directly told from God that she will have a baby called Isaac, she laughs. She absolutely laughs. And more significantly, you'll know if you know the story, that along the way, she gets Abraham to sleep with his, his maid, Hagar, who's younger, more likely to have a child than her. So along the way, there are plenty of examples of where they do not trust God fully. They doubt his promises, and they take things into their own hands. And that's encouraging for us, isn't it? It's hugely encouraging for us. Because none of us will ever be totally free from doubt. We'll, we'll wrestle with faith our whole lives and God knows that. God knows that we'll make decisions along the way which aren't right. The theologian Michael Reeves, who's written one of the books we've got at the back, he puts it quite well here, I think. He says, the struggling failure who trusts in Jesus is as much a child of God as the greatest hero of the faith. That's great to remember, isn't it? And the other thing we can remember is that all these, these, these uh, stories of great heroes in the Old Testament, it's not, it's not about them. It's ultimately not about them. The, the hero, really, of this chapter and of Abraham and Sarah's story is God. He is with them every step of the way. He calls them, but he is with them. And he's the one who enables Sarah to bear a child. He's the one who leads them to the land to help them to settle in it. He's the one who blesses them with riches in this life and makes the promises for the future. He's the one who, who brings that about. And they haven't done anything to earn that, nothing at all. It's interesting, you might remember last week, Noah was called out as a righteous man amongst a wicked world. Abraham is given no such instruction. As far as we know, he's just a man 
and a wife who God has mercy on. God chooses. And did you see, as we finish, verse 12, what God brings about because of their faithfulness through them. From this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. So for those of us here today, sitting here as Christians, this is where we come into the story. This is where Abraham and Sarah's story becomes ours. Because it's Jesus who is the the one who fulfills all of these promises. If you you know much of the gospel story, you'll know that Jesus encounters people who think that they're, they're right with God because of being descended from Abraham because of being physically descended from him. But Jesus says, no, no, it's, it's faith. It's always been about faith. People who share their faith, not their genetics. And that's the point that Hebrews is making. It is by faith that we can receive those promises. The Apostle Paul puts it like this when he's writing to the Galatians. He says that God redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promises, the promise of the Spirit. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. Christ is the one who fulfills this promise. And that's how we can be brought into this story too. Abraham and Sarah, they're, they're a shadow for us. They point us to Jesus. Because Jesus, too, was one who obeyed his father, his call from his father to leave his home in heaven, descending his throne and come and being born in an even more miraculous way on earth. And Jesus himself would call people to leave their homes and to follow him without knowing where they will end up. And he, too, promised them a final home in that same city with foundations that Abraham was looking forward to. Truly I tell you, Jesus says, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. That's Jesus taking the promise and opening it up to us all this morning. So will we join Abraham and Sarah in stepping out in faith, keeping going, not drifting back? Will we believe the promises that he makes to us? Hearing the call on his lives to follow him, despite the uncertainty, despite where it may lead us, but confident in the blessings that we will see in this life and in the world to come. I want to lead us in a prayer as we finish. Father, thank you that you are a promise-keeping God. We thank you for the example of Abraham and Sarah, for their obedience to your call, and for their faith in your promises, even though they were humanly impossible. I pray that you give us that same faith this morning. Would we hear your call to us in your word, that we might be people who follow you wherever you take us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, I'm going to ask the band to come back. And we're going to finish with a great song, a song that 
uh, reminds us that our call to faith is one of obedience, but, but one where Jesus is with us. Uh, we, can, we can trust in God, uh, not because of anything that we do, but because Jesus works in us, not, through, uh, not, not in I, but through Jesus in me. So as the band stands, let's join in and sing together.